1980, January 1980, the radio crackled that uh, a plane was missing over Mount McKinley area on a scenic flight. And uh, um, Tilkin is a very close community with all the different uh, flyers, climbers, everybody involved. And it was a sleepy little town, but everyone's pretty well connected. We didn't have the internet or anything like that. It was a CB radio and uh, scanners with the local flight service, which was at that time at the state airport. Um, the call came in about 7, 8 o'clock. The local plane was missing, and, and so, of course, everybody gets together, put it together. Um, by the time, it was a little bit inclement weather at the time, and, of course, the facts are all pretty jumbled, but it came out that basically about 4.35 o'clock in the morning, we assembled to go start the search for this aircraft that was missing. The RCC had mixed ELT signals from uh, Peters Glacier, um, the Kehiltna, uh, Kiltna Dome, um, up in that area, about 11,000 feet on Mount McKinley. And we knew it was serious. A lot of times you get people overdue, maybe they forget their flight plan or something like that. But so we launched early and, and uh, another pilot was able to uh, identify the wreck immediately in a pass area, two people were already killed outside the airplane. It wasn't a pretty sight. Um, we were waiting for the Chinooks to come in from Fairbanks to uh, do an extraction. Um, the weather was starting to get badder, worse and worse and worse. I'll never forget, uh, we took turns flying over the wreckage for the survivors that were in there, seeing just this bleak little light from this wreckage of an airplane to the back window, just a little, little big light would shine on and off, so we knew there were people that were still alive in there. And climbers and people here know how serious that is to be. It was in January 1980, well below zero. Immediately you knew it was a serious situation. Um, I was just, because we took many turns flying over the aircraft, waiting for the Chinooks, I just happened to be there when the Chinooks came in. The weather's coming down, down the wind's increasing tremendously had an opportunity possibly to land there, which I go over my head sometimes more often than not uh, to be able to help. Um, people were involved. Once the weather came down, the Chinooks were going to land on a cornice. They had to bail. Um, everyone just split because the weather came right down. I got stuck on the north side of the Alaska range because uh, the weather came down so quickly. These guys are stuck up there now. They started a ground party, People, local people here, Art Mannix, Chris Nitree. Um, some local people started literally walking from the base of the Kiltna Glacier up to help these guys because the weather had come down. They're in whiteout conditions, just going by compass. Meanwhile, I'd bailed onto the north side of the Alaska Range because I couldn't make it back on this side. I ended up spending the night at Farewell Lake at a cabin there with a local trapper guy. and. Uh, my destination, of course, was trying to get back to Talkeetna. These guys are on their way up trying to help this rescue. So Talkeetna was clear weather. Fairview, uh, Farewell was clear weather. So I said, oh, no big deal. I'll just make it to just fly over the Alaska Range and make it back to Talkeetna, no problem, and we'll pick up the pieces at that point. Well, I started uh, that morning. was nice, crisp, clear. Farewell, crystal clear in Talkeetna. But the Alaska had a ground blizzard over the Alaska Range, which was... To find out later was really strong winds, which is a, a layer of snow that covers about anywhere from 10 feet to 1,000 feet of blowing snow. I started over the, um, towards Dalkeetna and uh, just clipping along. It seems like, gosh, this is taking off a long time. 
And I, I kind of look and I see my altimeter and it says, over 18,000 feet. I'm going, Jesus, over 18,000 feet? Well, I've been flying the mountains quite a bit, so I knew when, when you know your symptoms of hypoxia, and when you fly in the mountains a lot, you have automatic kick-in procedures, even though you're, you're, you know you get euphoric and you lose your color vision, things kind of go black and white, but you have automatic response of kick into this, you know, doesn't, doesn't matter, just do it, you know, just do it, just do it. So I knew I had radioed Talkeaton and said that it wasn't very good, it was still quite a ways away, I couldn't see Talkeaton, it was this total white blizzard, 18,000, over 18,000, it was getting hypoxic. And so I set the airplane up and uh, I could see down through the clouds. Now, trees at 18,000 feet looks like you just sprinkled a little bit of pepper on some white paper. <laughs> and, and it's covered by overcast cloud ground blizzard, which is, which is a lot of winds. And I knew I was in a serious part of the mountains coming direct. I mean, you, you know, you kind of pilot stuff, you know, you kind of know that. <laughs> and uh, so I said I wasn't going to make this through, so I set up a couple notches of flaps and started a circle. Well, I came conscious. My head was against the windshield of the airplane and my tongue is hanging out, which is kind of weird, you know? And I'd lost control of the aircraft and was spinning into the ground, or, you know, spinning in. And so I was like, whoa, so I pulled myself back and start doing all this positive stuff, get the ball centered, and the noise and the shaking is just unbelievable. So I pull the power back, get the airplane all back, back level again, but I know I'm in the mountains. Now it's completely white out. It's like having been inside a, a white bucket. So I go, oh boy, I better keep turning, keep turning. It's just going to be, you know, a flash of rock. That's it. You're dead, gone. You know, so it's beyond scared. <laughs> a dog runs out in front of you in the car. And it's like, oh my God, oh, I almost hit the car. No, this is like 10 minutes of watching the altimeter go on. We know what the altimeter does. Pilots know what that does. It means the ground's when that comes to the bottom. <laughs> and so you're watching this come down. So I'm being real careful. Pretty soon, can't see the propeller anymore. The airplane picked up so much ice, those lift struts were like, like uh, three times their length, they were an inch and a half of clear ice. The prop is throwing ice over the top of the, the, the uh, aircraft, it's really noisy, completely white. I was like, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. Can't even talk, your tongue is so thick, it's like, I'm dead. Pretty soon you resign yourself, I'm dead. <laughs> so going around, I mean, you can imagine, this isn't just a few seconds, this is like minutes, like saying like hours around. I know I'm in the mountains, I'm in whiteout, totally ice down, and the ultimate is spinning faster, faster, faster. Here comes the ground, here comes the ground, here comes the ground, here comes the ground. And um, the engine quits. So now, there's no noise. <laughs> and, it's, and it's really, it's total ice ball because there was so much ice in the aircraft that as it was descending, the, the plastic bladders inside the fuel tanks pulled the, the tanks off the keepers and had starved the aircraft of fuel. So now, I can't see, big block of ice, IFR in the mountains, just, and I'm, you know, this is 1980, good God. So I, I didn't even know if I had a pilot's license then. <laughs> so around, 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 around. And, and I know I'm in the mountains. I mean, it's gonna be, Plus rock, you're dead. And so, okay, beyond, like I said, just beyond scared, beyond, I'm dead already. Okay, so just by an act of God, this little piece of ice broke off the windshield. I could see outside, but I couldn't see out the windshield. And I saw these spruce trees sitting like this. 
what the hell? <laughs> and then yarded back as hard, just as hard as I could to make those trees come upright and poof into the snowbank, like a, just like a ptarmigan. Poof. <laughs> you know when they say, like in the cartoons, to pinch yourself to see if it's real? I'm sitting in here, it's still white, big sheets of ice are just falling off the airplane. It's like, oh my God, I'm dead. Jeez, I'm in hell. Or is this heaven? My hell? Hell or heaven? Literally, I mean, literally, I had to get some other stimula to touch myself to say, Am I alive? I'm alive. I'm alive! <laughs> I'm alive! <laughs> anyway, so and it's just surreal, just so quiet, and the snow coming down, and, and uh, in just, just in, this, in this mountainside, and uh, of Trapper at, at the uh, um, Rainy Pass, a guy caretaking the lodge had heard the airplane come down. There's those, also there's like 20 airplanes still missing that had never even been found because they just go poof in the snowbank. So he's looking for it, he heard it. And then engine quit. And so he knew there was a plane crash someplace. So he's on the snowmobile driving around, and he had this fox hat on. I'll never forget, he had this big, the big tail on this fox hat. I said, and kind of a normal thing is you always go downhill, downstream, you'll find a cabin, you'll find a lodge or something. And eventually I crossed his snowmobile track and found him, and he's going, and he eventually found the airplane and came back, and he's going, ooh, you made it, huh? <laughs> 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 going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, we got the rest of McKinley. These guys are in harm's way, making their way up there. I'm, they left me for dead up there. Oh, God, he, an hour ago he told us he was going down. And, uh, but anyway, uh, was able to take a stick, push the gas tanks back out, put some gas in, snowshoe out a runway, and get out of there and made it back to Telkina. 